Hey there, welcome to the Book of Majora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore and the fiction of the Legend of Zelda series of video game products. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Cameron. Hi. Monica will be here shortly, but she's busy right now. Yeah. Cooking a delicious seafood paella like yeah. that one kid wanted in the, in this game, Breath of the Wild. It. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. This is gonna, this, you know what this episode is? What's this episode? Gerudo episode, baby. Oh, Sign yeah. Sign for some Gerudo discourse. Oh, there's nothing quite like the Gerudo discourse. Do we, do we want to do like a Kala or anything like that? Or should we leave that for after the Divine Beast? I mean, we can talk about a Kala. What's, what's up with a Kala? I mean, that's where Terrytown is. Terrytown. Yeah. Hudson leaves the Hateno village after you finish upgrading your house and then he goes off to the Akala region to start a whole town and also the Akala ancient tech lab is over there uh they've got the the spring of power they got a few things we didn't talk about Ravi's ancient tech lab last time oh we didn't we did not okay so Robbie, the third of the three Sheikah who matter that scattered themselves all over Hyrule to preserve Zelda's super important message for Link, has set up a lab in the northern end of the Akala region, which is constantly thunderstorming this region. Like, real bad. Bring some wooden weaponry. And what he's been doing is, you know, there could be Robbie discourse, really. What's the Robbie discourse? I don't know that there is any Robbie discourse, but he's 120 plus years old, and he's literally married to a woman half his age. Yeah, but when did they meet? Um, it would have been a couple decades back. Okay, so we're talking like, what, 80 and 30? Uh, no, it'd be closer to 100 and, like, maybe 90 and 30. They do have an adult son. Yeah, she she is a, a grown woman, fully capable of making decisions. You know, and we're not we're not talking like twenties adult. We're talking thirties adult. That's true. That is a that is a bona fide adult in every possible metric, able to make the decisions to marry a nonagenarian who is in love with his vacuum cleaner or microwave. They're useful devices. No, I mean he literally names it after her, his first love and teaches it to talk. Yeah, they're useful devices. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, for our listeners who might be confused at the weird thing I just said, um, Robbie possesses a device called an ancient oven, which can take guardian parts and be used to make armor or weapons that Link can use. And they're the most powerful armor in the game, short of your champion's tunic, and they're easily the most powerful weapons in the game when they're used against guardians in particular. And... Uh, yeah, he, he ends up marrying this much younger woman and they work together on the ancient oven so that it can produce these armaments automatically once you feed certain materials into it. And his wife is actually the one who creates the intelligent interface for it, but Robbie's the one who gets it to talk the specific way that it does, and also names it after his first love, which for some reason freaks his wife out. She's worried that he's going to fall in love with the oven. I, I guess. I mean, he does... He 
In his journal, Robbie describes himself as speaking with it very familiarly. It's a classic reverse smart house situation. What's a reverse smart house situation? You know the Disney Channel original movie Smart House? No. Uh, I believe it came out in the year 2000. It's about a man who buys a fancy smart house, but then the smart house falls in love with him. Oh. Oh. It's really ahead of its time. That is pretty ahead of its time, actually. Wow. I thought they called that movie Her. No, the Her is what they call a ripoff, like Star Wars and the Hidden Fortress. Oh, I see. Oh, wait. Is Her a reverse smart house? Uh, You know, I haven't seen Her. Oh, okay. Is the love two ways? Is it one way? I thought that it was one way, but I haven't seen the movie either. Yeah, I mean, I like, why would an AI care about people that way? Wow. What? I mean, why do people care about people that way? Why do we assume that an AI is going to think like a person does? I'm not saying that it necessarily would, but it could. I guess. You I guess that it possibly could, in theory. <laughs> why would an AI want to destroy humanity? It probably wouldn't, really. Exactly. We don't know if AI would even have any sense of self-preservation. Uh, don't know Robbie's any- memoirs give the date that he met Jaren as when he was 90 years old. So it's 1945. That's fine. Sh- sh- sure. Still weird. A little bit. You always get the impression it's like you marry a non-engineerian, you're sort of waiting for them to die a little bit. But he's he keeps trucking. Robbie, he eats his he eats his greens. I assume. I mean, Jaren will live quite a long time too. She's also Sheikah. That's true. Do we think that Sheikah in general are just longer lived? Yeah, they got they got that uh, goddess blessing blood. Yeah. Okay. Sure. They do photosynthesis. So the average Sheikah lifespan could be as high as 130 or 150. You, you, do you think you'd see more? Well, no, you see a lot of old Sheikah in this game, I guess. Yeah, but Still. did they just stay old for a long... Like, Impa's really old, right? Impa's older than Robbie. Yeah, Impa... Uh, I think that the old... It, it goes Pura, and then Impa, and then Robbie. Okay, Pura was old enough that it was becoming a problem for her. That's why she did the reverse aging potion. Yeah, that's why she had her age regression episode. It's, uh... Yeah, okay, so like 130 for a Sheikah is like 85 or 90 for a human, where your body just starts failing you in ways you don't expect. If Robbie's currently like 110, he looks like he's maybe, you could say 60. I would have said 70. He's in that turtle grandpa stage. But then if Jaren's like 50, like 65. You keep adding on to this. Then... I mean, she she looks like she could be like forty. Yeah, she does. She looks like a very, very active forty-year-old. So, listeners, take all these data points and give me a linear regression, please. We would like um, a fully annotated chart as to how old everybody is in Hylian years and how weird or not their relationship is, because it's still kind of like interesting that she's. The writing around their relationship just reads kind of sloppy to me. The idea that she's that jealous of a fucking oven is so weird. It's like, ah, oh, my husband's going to into this thing. Whoa, what grinds up gears. Cameron. What? There's no, no need to go there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll bleep that out. He's not. No, he's just going to like sleep in it. Just sleep in it? Yeah, it's warm. What if it turns on? 
it'll be really warm. Yeah, really warm. Like, like the warm embrace of a loved one. I'll, the warm embrace of a loved one that breaks you down into your constituent fluids. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, what did you want to say about Robbie's questline? Um, Robbie's questline is... I don't know that I really have a lot to say about it. I just wanted to like mention that Robbie's over there, that you can get good armor out of it. That's definitely worth building. Um, you have to carry, uh, no, it's just for Pura's lab that you have to carry the fire. It's not Robbie's. Monica's almost here. She just gave me a look for starting without her, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the most important thing in Akala is Robbie, except for Terrytown. Terrytown, uh, I don't want to do without Monica being here, but who knows when she'll arrive. Hello. She's staring at me. You two started without me. And with us is Monica. Monica is here now. She can reign in this podcast, so Cameron doesn't have to talk about Robbie in his oven. I have to bleep that again now. Uh, he really wanted to. Yeah, see? See? Look, I didn't even say that he wanted to. I said that the weird thing was that his wife was so worried about him in an oven. He named that thing after his first love. Yeah, I know. Don't do that. But no, you don't do. I'm, Robbie is w- written as a weirdo here, but also the his wife's reaction to this ancient old man talking weirdly to his computer is also sort of off base. Uh, no, I think she's perfectly normal. Fair enough, I guess. If this is after the ancient oven has been reset to speak more robotically, that's right. Yes, though he does still call it cherry in private. Yes, even though he promised not to. Even though he promised not to. Also, he does check out Link's naked body. That has nothing to do with anything. No, it's it for doesn't. Scientific purposes. He he uses it to confirm that Link is who he claims to be. We're really painting the portrait of Robbie as a weirdo pervert. Well, I mean, it's not even that. Yes, obviously, Robbie is a weirdo pervert. And this is like the one scene in the game that would have read a little bit differently if you... Okay, there's a few scenes in the game that would read a little bit differently if you could play Link as a girl. But um, I actually think that it's kind of cool, but also weirdly dissonant with Link's actual design. Because Robbie asks Link to take all of his clothes off, and then Robbie, we're told looks at all of Link's scars and goes, yeah, that's definitely you. I was there when we put you in the machine, when we found you on the battlefield, and all of those matched the wounds that you had then. But Link's model doesn't have any scars on it. So that just always struck me. Yeah. They, sh- they should make a fan mod where Link's got a lot of scars. He uses lotion. D- mm-hmm. That bio oil. Moisturizer is important. Moisturizer is very important, clearly. So what were you two up to while I was frying seafood pancakes? We were talking about uh, the Akala region, in particular Robbie. Okay. That's pretty much it. We haven't gotten any further. We are really let into the private life of this family. Yeah. And the wife's insecurities and... Robbie's weirdness. And the son getting the fuck out. Yeah, he he totally peaced out. But he's still doing his research. He's just doing his research specifically on armor. Yeah. In fact, the last that Robbie... Uh, what is Robbie's wife's name? Jaren. Jaren. I'm sorry, you said that earlier. Uh, Jaren specifically asks Link to keep an eye out for their son. 
because last either of them heard of him, he had gone off to Hyrule Castle to try to gather up materials and maybe find some lost armor. And if you finish the Terrytown quest, he'll actually move into Terrytown, which is very useful because you can use him to get some really rare armor that you might have failed to collect or have sold somehow for some reason. Do we want to talk about Terrytown now or wait? Why not now? Okay, so Hudson left Hateno Village after they finished building Link's house and whatnot. And he heads over to the Akala region and starts Terrytown. But Hudson's only one guy. And one guy can't really start a town. They didn't think this through very clearly. He makes a pretty decent go of it. Oh, hell yeah. He breaks up a lot of rocks. When you go to the site of the future Terrytown, Link can speak to Hudson. And Hudson explains to Link that there's a few essential elements that Terrytown is missing. And one is more urgent than the other. The most urgent thing is lumber. The second most urgent thing is people. I'd say people are more essential to a town. I think that probably you're right. And I'm not sure that Hudson actually said that lumber is more essential than people. But it would be funny if he did. So I pretended. I like how Hudson talks. Yeah. Which is not much at all. Yeah. Hudson's particular uh, diction is very distinct compared to the rest of the cast. And it's especially funny because when you talk to Hudson, Link sort of copies the way that Hudson talks. Is Link kind of a dick? I don't know if he's... Yes, yes, Link's an asshole. But I don't know if he's being an asshole here or if he's just naturally copying the speaking patterns of whoever he's speaking to. Because he does that a lot. So you run around and you bomb some trees. You do. And you come back and Hudson's like, gee, thanks. I guess that I can start building some stuff. But you know what we really need is people. And the first people who can work here would need to work for... uh, What's the name of the company? Bolson. Bolson. Bolson Co. Or whatever the hell it's called. And the thing is that the only people who can work for the company are people whose names end in Sun. And this might, imaginably, create some complications. And... The first person that Hudson thinks they need, I think it's a Gorin, isn't it? Yes, Grayson. But we haven't been to the Gorin region yet, so I guess we'll have to come back. Okay. Why? (laughs) Because we haven't been to the Gorin region yet. We're stuck in this quest, Crystal. Yeah, Crystal, we can't continue. Oh, so we're we're doing like... uh, We're doing like uh, a mental chess, except it's a mental Breath of the Wild. Yeah, absolutely. Or mentally playing through Breath of the Wild. Sure. And I've run run into this uh, roadblock in the game. Yeah, we haven't set off the flag to well, be able to... I wouldn't want to cheat. It would cheat me out of a sense of accomplishment. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to, like, lower the difficulty of the podcast in any way. That would be tantamount to doing the bad podcast. The designers intended for us to not talk about this <laughs> something something warping yeah 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 so this this is the risk we're going to have to take and hopefully by the end we'll have learned something and grown stronger we will have completely forgotten about the Terrytown quest no no we won't no we won't because i have to edit this stupid episode and i'll remind myself no i mean by the time we get to goran village oh i don't know i think we could actually get there in this episode if we try no you, well, 
I mean, no, it, it takes a pretty long time to run there. Like, we don't have fast travel yet. Uh, we haven't unlocked the tower. You're, mm, you're not wrong, though that all isn't what... we have to fight along the way. That isn't quite what Monica means, though. Monica means that we're going to spend a long time in Gerudo Desert Place. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss there. It's like the second most content-heavy one. It is. And, in fact, it might have even more than Zora's Domain does in terms of its environmental storytelling. Mm. Which, you know, we love to get into. So we decide to, like, go diagonal across the map. Well, we want to go see what's up with Urbosa because she's so cool in all the memories that we've seen. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to the Gerudo Desert. Or, means- or you can be like me. And the reason that I went to the Gerudo Desert immediately after Zora's Domain was because I heard the rumblings of the discourse beginning. And I thought, oh, I better get this shit out of the way. You dragged me with you. I sure did. Crystal, why did you go to Gerudo Town second? Uh, I wanted to go to it first, but then I ran into Sidon. I was like, well, I might as well do Sidon's thing while I'm here. That makes sense. It does. Well, we're we're uh, running all the way to Gerudo Town. Oh, oh, there's a moblin attacking us. Oh, we're having we're a big fight. Uh, dodge. Ooh, yeah, we got the parry down. Slow-mo. Attack. Killed it. Good. Oh, no, my, my sword broke. Did it drop a better sword? Yeah, well, it didn't drop a worse sword, but it'll do for now. Uh, we're gonna keep keep walking over there. <laughs> uh, I can I can see uh, a stable. Maybe I can get a horse there. Oh, you can't take horses on the sand. Ah, that's right. I can't your, take horses on the sand. Your horse can go no further. Is this how you traveled through Akala? <laughs> Is that why there were ten minutes before I got here? No, that... no. This crystal has just started this. Okay. Well, we can't. Well, we can't skip over the you know the roadblocks that the designers have set up. Oh, can't we? No, she's taking the piss out of my coming back to Terrytown thing. Oh. Okay, we get to the <laughs> desert. Um, there's a Grudo, there's a canyon pass that we can talk about. Oh, oh it's boy. really nice scenery. Yeah, the, yeah, it's very pretty. And you can climb all over the place. But um, yeah. yeah, what interests me, the side quests are firstly the the rush room addicted guy. Oh yeah, that guy is actually addicted to speed-based mushrooms. He's like 60-year-old, and he's been eating them since he was five years old. Wow. I know, and he he used to have them every day, but now he's too old to actually climb to get them, and no amount of rush rooms will help correct that. So he demands that you, you go pick them in bundles of 55. He's not addicted enough to be willing to settle for anything less than that. I don't know. That sounds like he's really addicted to me. <laughs> I know, but like, what if he had like fifty-four? He goes, no. Like he I'm knows how fifty-five he, only. He knows how big the hit needs to be now. He's got that line, buddy. Got any rush rooms? Yeah, okay, that's kind of dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. I mean, I guess you could read them as performance-enhancing stuff. It's all natural, though. Uh, all natural means it's okay. No. It's got no artificial colors or flavorings. Who knows what he does with them? Rushrooms aren't even a genetically modified organism. I mean, they look kind of messed up. Uh, Yeah, but they're natural, so they're safe. Uh, Arsenic is natural. I thought you were going to go with, like, hemlock or something. Yeah, that would be a better comparison. Um, 
Another quest, which is at that stable, is uh, Sisami oh. and his friends. Oh, The that missing one. in action quest. Missing in action. This one's enormous. Yeah, actually. So he was traveling with his friends. I can't remember, like four friends, maybe. And then they got ambushed by monsters, and he ran off. And he would like you to save them. And this involves traveling along the really narrow, terrifying uh, rail, not rail, railing less. They're walkways, basically. Walkways. They're they're like big shelves somebody installed on the canyon wall, and they're high above the ground and extremely narrow. Yeah. So it completely fucks with Monica's fear of heights. Yeah. And the friends are just being kept by by moblins or bokoblins by some re- for some reason. Well, they're also some of them are fighting. Yeah. Why are the bokoblins capturing people to eat them? Okay. You think bokoblins eat people? Oh, I have no idea. I do know they have a lot of human-looking bones around their cook pots. Oh. That's pretty terrible. I, am I wrong? Do I misremember those bones? I mean, a lot of them could be animal bones. I mean, they are waiting in ambush for people, and why, I guess? They could be just beating them to death for pleasure, because it's a neat, fun, cruel thing to do. Yeah, but no, they were, like, being kept. Yeah. You just torture them. You're a bokoblin. You're evil. Bokoblins oh. are demonstrably evil. Wow. No, uh, no assumptions made here. Wow. What? Okay. Crystal, did you not suggest in the last episode that we recorded that Bacoblins aren't just evil, but they're a manifestation of Ganon's evil as he tries to create new life? Oh yeah, he makes them. And he <laughs> makes them evil. Right, I don't think they even need to eat. But they do. Right, like Amethyst. Is Amethyst evil? No, but she doesn't need to eat, but she does. I see. So are Bacoblins gems? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the transitive property, the Calamity Ganon is a diamond, and the Bacoblins are more minor gems. The this mouse. analogy is perfect. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the the Calamity is a diamond, and the Bacoblins are pebbles. Oh. Monica loves the pebbles. They're very cute. Um, you save all the friends, and you return to Sasami, where he is with his friends. And all of them have very different reactions to the situation that they're in. Some are fighting for their lives. Some are so terrified they can't even move. All of them are pissed at him. Oh, they are so fucking mad. And Sasami tells you that um, opening yourself up to others makes you vulnerable, but it's the only way to give life any value. But... Caring for others is an emotional liability, so that's why he and his friends have decided to part ways with each other. And they'll never speak to each other again. (laughs) And he's not quite sure what the takeaway of all of this was. The takeaway is friendship sucks ass, says Sasami. Sasami? Sasami? I think his friends also just wanted to dump him, though. Oh, more than one of them wanted to actually, like, physically beat him. So I think he didn't learn his lesson. No. And honestly, they're better off for abandoning him. Sasami is one of the first people that you run into, or that we run into, that talks about a legendary sword that is sleeping in the Great Forest. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Hmm. And I think somebody else, either he or somebody else mentions that the princess put the sword there. Which, I don't know how that got carried down. Uh, Maybe some Sheikah spread the rumor. Sure. The funnest 
legend of the sword, though, or not sword, oh, legendary yeah. weapon is the guy obsessed with the Master Torch. Yes. He's at the Foothill Stable, I think, near Death Mountain. He's fun wherever you meet him. Yeah, wherever you meet him, it's a good time because he's convinced that the ultimate weapon is the Master Torch. And he thinks that he might have found it. And it's just a perfect torch. And if you go back and revisit him with the Master Sword, he's like, ah, oh, what's that piece of junk? I bet it's a derivative. Just some ripoff of the one true Master Torch. Think you're so cool with your sword? It's just a sword. You can't even light it on fire. What was special it... about the Master Torch? Unclear. It sparkles with the ability to uh, defeat evil. Oh, it's or... like the green flame torch from Harry Potter. <laughs> sure. Monica didn't read that far into Harry Potter. No, no, no. That was a popular fan theory uh, in the days before the sixth book. Go on. Well, they're, they were going to defeat Voldemort by having a green flame torch. Because when Dumbledore alluded to the ultimate power, he didn't mean love. He meant the green flame torch. Oh, that that's that's considerably sillier than I was expecting this to be. This seems very on track with the guy in love with the Master Torch. Maybe maybe the guy in love with the Master Torch is the one who first wrote that fan theory. Sure. I mean, who would ever say that love is the ultimate power in a fantasy series where a mom literally dies protecting her child? No. She had, Lily has green eyes, like the green flame of the green flame torch. Is that something that someone said? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Are you calling back through your memory palace here? Mm-hmm. That's good, then. There's an, there's an injured guy on the road who wants a horse, right? Yes. And you can bring him a horse. You can it, lose your horse. Yes. Because once you give that dude a horse that you caught and registered, it's just gone. But he needs a regular-sized horse, so you cannot bring him the giant horse. He'll be like, I, that thing seems like it's going to crush me to death. I wonder if anybody's tried to give him, like, a bear. That, oh, oh! now I want to try that. Or a skeleton horse. Oh my god. Well, the skeleton horse doesn't last till morning, right? Okay. Okay, but, then the Lord of the the Hill. Jesus. Yeah, okay, that'd be fine. So are there any more side quests that we have to do before we even reach the desert? No. Go into the desert. It's hot. Or cold. Sure. I'm sad that you can't bring the horse into the sand. Like, horses can walk on sand. Yeah. They don't just die. True, but it's not fun for them. No, I guess not. But uh, I actually did Google if horses can go into the desert. Oh, okay. They, they can. It's sure. But they just did that because there's sand seals that they want you to ride. Yeah, of course. And it's a much faster mode of transportation than horses usually. They might be about the same. The game sort of doesn't incentivize you using a horse enough because teleportation is so easy, but also I would never want them to get rid of the teleportation. Yeah. Um, you don't get very far into the desert before you see a giant dust storm or whatever, and it's the introduction of uh, Naboris, and um, in the sandstorm, it's a giant camel, and lightning is crackling, and it's got glowing purple hooves. That's ominous. It's a little bit ominous. But you can't really do anything, so let's go to Karakara Bazaar. How cool would the experience of discovering the Divine Beast be if you had not been told twice exactly what they are? I think it could have been very cool. Yeah. Like if they had never shown you an image of them at all. 
Yeah. Yeah, that could have really been something. Would we still want, like, the cut scene of seeing them once you go within a certain range of them? Absolutely. So you treat it sort of like the Colossus or Colossus and Shadow of the Colossus? Yeah. You just approach them. You're like, what is that? And you approach them closer and it shows you a cool cutscene of them. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's at the Car Car Bazaar? Not much. Uh, there's there's Grudo. There's this yeah. There is a a Grudo named Ronson who is a tailor. She'll come up later. She she tries to scope Link out as a prospect, but considers him too too delicate, and Mama would not be pleased. Oh yeah. All right, because this game leans in double hard Ugh. on the Gerudo's scouting around for husbands. Uh, yes. Like, 98% of the Gerudo are obsessed with finding love. Well, outside of the city. Inside of the city, it's more like 40%. And finding love specifically with Hylian men. Yes. Why not, like... You never see any of them want to fuck a Gorin or anything. Yes. Or Zora or Rito. Zora are cool. Zora are cool. Get you a big shark man. They're just really attracted to Hylians. Ugh. Hylian guys. Ugh. Ugh. Even though, like, 98% of Hylian guys are trash. Even though everything about Gerudo Town is set up, as Crystal said once before, like, they accidentally made this giant lesbian haven. Oh, yeah. No the Gerudo left. Society is basically society of female leads in Seth Rogen movies. Oh. Where they're just, like, out, out there living their own lives having successful careers and whatnot but this like schlubby guy who smokes oh. weed he's just incredibly attractive yes you know you know that guy has a recent movie that's basically just knocked up again bullshit yeah it's called what's it called god long shot oh i'm sorry what is Longshot about? Fred Flarsky, an unemployed journalist, battered by his own misfortune and self-destructed ways, courts his childhood love interest and former babysitter, who is now one of the most powerful and unattainable women on Earth. Ah. Uh. Okay. Played by Charlize Theron. Secretary of State of the United States and presidential candidate and Fred's love interest. Uh. <laughs> wow, he's really aiming high, ain't he? Yes. Uh, that's a perfect lead into this because the other people in Kara Car Bazaar are schlubby Hylian men who are so far below par that they could not qualify as Seth Rogen. Ooh. Wow. That hurts. I'm not wrong. <laughs> like Jonah Hill. It's it's a bunch of merchants who did not do their research before, you know, venturing into the desert. They didn't think to bring some female employees to actually yeah, no, carry right. out their business. Nobody, yeah. Like as a, a female employee. Yeah. Everything about this setup is stupid. And every single one of these guys is super fucking gross. Because as soon as you talk to them, at least... Like, there's usually one guy in there who's like, Man, this has created weird, unforeseen complications for our business dealings here. But everyone else is like, <laughs> Ladies, uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a weird-looking waveform, isn't it? It sounded weird, too. I'm glad. It was fucking supposed to. But there's a lot of differently designed Grudo bodies around. 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that a little bit before. They put some more more thought than none at all went into crafting of the Gerudo people in this one, which, you know, is a thing. But, like, we're still talking about the fucking gender politics here. Yeah. Which, it like, even before you get to Gerudo Town and get to the weird and gross parts of this sequence, it's like, oh, guys, why is it like this? They're all wearing heels. No raisin. No raisin. They're all dressed nothing like people who actually live in a desert. No raisin. How far in should we really get in on the discourse here? Let's go all the way. Because I... last shot. Okay. Okay. So, Link needs to find a way into Gerudo Town. He goes over there and he talks to the guards and the guards are like, Listen, you can't come no in. No boys allowed. No boys allowed. Go away. No exceptions, even for, you know, the the champion guy who is essential to saving the entire kingdom it's a very old law traditions yeah so link who doesn't remember but who has actually done this before Uh uh-huh has to um find a way in and according to rumor he just say what they actually (laughs) fucking say they mentioned that a guy has managed to sneak their way into Gerudo Town. Yeah. And you go around looking for a guy. Uh-huh. And you encounter a Hylian with red hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the name of Vilia. Her name was Vivian in the Japanese. That makes a lot more sense. Really? Yeah. Like the Super Mario character. Yes. Wait, hold on. Yeah, that's what I want to say. I'm glad they changed it then. <laughs> really? I don't like the association with Vivian, who was treated with, like, fucking ten times more respect than Vilia is. Yeah, well. Like, but... if you make if you make a reference to the Super Mario character, it feels like a takedown of that character, and that pisses me straight off. She is wearing purple. Fuck off! I, I think it is meant to be some sort of a call back. Ugh. I, I also tried to look around to see if, you know, if there was some sort of a trans association with Vivian. As a name? As a name. What'd you find? Uh, ten minutes of Wikipedia and couldn't find anything. Fair enough. Nobody could ask for more. Ten minutes is about as far as I can go. Yeah. So anyway, you talk to Vilia. And Vilia, she tells you, yeah, you know what? You would look really good in these clothes I'm selling here. Let me see how you look. And now we've got Link... Dressed up in the girly clothes. And Link is, like, weirdly, like, positively embarrassed about it. And it's a interesting sequence. And then uh, then we get the cutaway. Jo- you, you have to tell Vilio that she's very beautiful or else this sequence doesn't continue. She refuses to talk to you if you accuse her of being a guy. Right. And, uh... Of course, the final punctuation at the end of it is a joke of her veil being blown up and she has a five o'clock shadow that you sort of see from the side. Yeah, you can, uh, there, there are people have found the full model. It's, it's bad. Yeah, she's got it's like, bad too. <laughs> she's got a, she's got a really long jaw and a huge gap between her nose and her mouth, right? Something like that. It's not good. No, the whole sequence is bad. Like, We've talked before about how misogyny is sort of baked into the DNA of a lot of Zelda games, and that's inclusive of trans misogyny whenever it comes up, but this game really wore it on its sleeve. Yeah, this is a this is a mandatory main quest. Like you you you, you cannot get 
and rescue all the champions without going through this particular sequence every single fucking time. It's really stupid why Link has to disguise himself to get into Gerudo Town anyway. There's the whole setup for Gerudo Town in the first place is nonsense. Like, even if that was one of the possibilities, we could have just had him climb the wall at any point and have to do a stealth sequence. sequence. Fucking sure, whatever. Or just explain himself. Yeah. Or it doesn't. There could be an exception. You could even have Link dress up like a, a present. As a woman, in a way that's not fucked up. Yeah, there's that too. There's uh, The number of points of failure here are innumerable. The interesting thing, though, is that... Well, not to say that they could have gone lower, but Vilia doesn't seem like... They don't paint her intentions. Oh. I know. <laughs> that's a low bar. So, um, Crystal just sent us the picture of Vilia's full model... And yes, it's very not good. It feels like a joke in and of itself. Yeah. <sighs> I know that a lot of our listeners are personally affected by this sequence. I wish it fu- wasn't that fucking way. It is a dark block. Yeah, they should, they should have made it good instead of bad. I guess that's ultimately what it comes down to, yeah. They should patch the video game to make it good. Hmm. Yeah, they should. They yeah. should patch the video game. And whoever improved it should be beaten with a stick for a while until they learn their lesson. Well, uh, so we have an outfit. Then we can just walk in. Shall we talk to the guys hanging around? Oh, are we Are we going to talk to Boot Boy? Uh-huh. Boot Boy is the worst male character in Zelda history. Oh, man. Bozai? Well, what is it, Crystal? The Boot Boy? Oh, what's his name? Bozai. Bozai. Well, he's a Hillian man who hangs out outside the Gerudo town. And, uh... Yeah? He... <laughs> How do you put this? <laughs> he has this pair of sand boots. Yeah. They're super rare. Because the original creator is dead. They, le- they let you run over sand as easily as you could run over stone or grass. Judging by the design, they're definitely Gerudo. So I guess it was a Gerudo creator and they died. But he's got these special boots, you were saying. Yes, but he only would be willing to give the boots to a hot girl. I I love that Bozai's method for fishing for a hot girl is showing off his boots by running circles around the outside of Gerudo Town all fucking day. Sure. That's all he does. That seems like a great plan. Yes, so he can attract a Gerudo woman so that finally the Gerudo can learn to walk on sand. <laughs> <laughs> the his opening line is something like he's Bozai, he's 35 and single. Oh, I wish you hadn't led with that. What? Because I wanted to get to the part where he comes on to Link uh-huh. and then ask Crystal how old she thought Bozai was. Oh, sorry. I think I already said that in our our discussion. Oh, maybe time. you did. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, this 35-year-old is hitting on what looks like a 17-year-old. Yeah. What does Nintendo have against 35-year-olds, Firstly, Tingle's 35. Has a specific age been mentioned before? Tingle is 35. Tingle is 35. Yeah. 35 in Japan. Maybe it's... Google.com. Maybe it's just, like, the age where you're supposed to be grown up and have your shit together. 
Yeah, it's like how in ancient Sparta, by law, all Spartan men had to be married between 25 and 35, or you would pay a fine. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Did this come up at all in Assassin's Creed? Yes, I learned that from a loading screen in Assassin's Creed. Oh, okay. So I guess that's why you had to get married in that one DLC. You didn't want to pay the fine. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's a big fine. You're not allowed to participate in certain uh, ceremonies either. Well, I mean, why would you if you're not married? <laughs> so, are we are we going through Bozai's whole quest? You know what? Fuck it. <laughs> why not? Okay, so he only wants to give the boots to a hot girl. So if Link dresses up in the Garuda outfit, he'll start coming on to you. And hmm, he'd love to give you them, but he needs a little favor first. What's the favor? In the Gerudo Highlands, there there's statues of the seven heroines of Gerudo myth. But there's a legend of an eighth heroine in the northern Gerudo Highlands that that no one's seen in a very long time. He wants he wants you to bring a picture of it. So, what could his reason be to send this girl off to try to find this statue that he's not sure it exists? In a very dangerous locale. Well, he'll give you his snow boots to make the journey. Oh, okay. But, like, still, what could his reason be to send this cute girl half his age off on this very dangerous quest? You find out when you go and take the picture and come back to him. He doesn't, like, mutter it under (laughs) his breath before you leave? No. Oh, God, you watched all this bullshit recently. Yes, I did. He he comes clean to you that... Do we... What? So you go to the Gerudo Highlands, Highlands. which are freezing fucking cold and extremely dangerous. Uh Uh-huh. And you you search around, but if you look in your map, you can kind of see a shape similar to the the other uh, statues. Yeah, it's at the end of a long trench. Right. And you take a picture of it, and you trek on back, and he's like, oh, I know it was just, you know, an old wives' tale hoax thing. It's all right. You don't have to worry about... (laughs) Wait, you found what? It's real? Yeah. He wanted you to give up on your quest and come back and... Dejected. Dejected, and he would, you know... Comfort. Comfort and console you and be your protector. But Link is like, here's a photo. Boots, please. Get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he keeps to his word. He gives you the sand boots, but he does ask for his snow boots back. And Link is like, hey, how about them other boots? I like them other boots. And Bozai's like, well, you know the photo that you took of the eighth heroine? She didn't have her sword like the other ones do. Maybe you could go and take a picture of that sword. But um, I'm not giving you my snow boots for that. You gotta just do it. <laughs> you skipped over the part where he uh, he invites you to join him in oh, his yes. tent. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just park myself under the tent in front of Gerudo Town and take five. Care to join me later? And Link's responses are like, see ya and bye. <laughs> Link, th- this part's really fun. Yeah, that's... Yeah. This quest, I'm of two minds about it because Link is... Uh, the way you play into it is the exact same kind of weird undercurrent of trans misogyny that the sequence with Vilia has, but also it's genuinely really fucking funny, and I hate Bozai. It's it's just really relatable, I think, for 
for women who deal with like these kinds of guys to right. immediately it's like oh, fuck you do you remember the episode of avatar the last airbender where the gang was all trying to camp out and Sokka and Suki kept trying to have sex in a tent. I'm sorry. Suko kept <laughs> Sokka and Suki kept trying to have sex in a tent. I don't remember that. But then Zuko kept interrupting them because he he was you know going through some tough times and needed a friend to talk to. Okay, I do remember them. Like maybe they would have a kiss or something. I this is kind of recalling it, but you threw me way the fuck off with the sex thing. No, there's definitely a point where Zuko ran into Suki at night and he was like, "Where are you going?" Oh Suki's yeah. Like, uh, n- nowhere. And then he goes into Sokka's tent and Sokka has like candles. Oh yeah. Laid out. <laughs> oh, that's a good joke. Oh. That's great. That's a funny funny fucking joke. That's what Bozai wanted to do. That is what Bozai wanted to do. Just with some random 17-year-old. Some high school girl. Um, but anyway, uh, because you are Link, and you've been walking, you probably have been walking around in snowy places without snow boots anyway. Honestly, you can just teleport pretty close to where it was. Sure, yes. Um, there's a line all around, though. Be careful. I'd beat its ass. <laughs> uh, you take a picture of the sword... And you trek on back, and Bozai is really relieved to hear or see you. After you left, he assumed you might actually get hurt and killed. Yeah, and he said like a traveler saw Link from a distance or something like that in the the northern wasteland. And he was very worried. He's like, oh, you made it back. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, it's so good. Boots, please. (laughs) Hand over them boots. Uh, he's like what you can't pretend that you actually oh my god you found it boots now and he's like wow okay you listen here are the boots but you know you've really advanced archaeology in this region by a very long way just in finding these things listen do you think that maybe you and i could just have a conversation bye (laughs) and that's the end of bozai that's great he just sits in that one place for the entire rest of the game fuck bozai if you speak to Bozai later, not wearing the Gerudo set, he will tell you a story about how he used to date this Gerudo girl, but then she Fuck dumped him. him. Wait, he thinks that Link is a Gerudo? Yeah. yeah. Link, who is five foot nothing and has blonde hair. Uh-huh. Right. And He's light skin. He's Gerudo clothes. He's, He's like those fucking... He's like those tourists walking around Kyoto wearing... Uh, what's the word? Closed tourist rent in Kyoto. Come yes. on. Help me. What is the word? I, I blanked out. Yeah, I blanked out too. Uh. Dragon Ball. <laughs> no. Yukata? No. Yukata or one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's nonsense. It's like Sheik the Sheikah. It's like Sheik the Sheikah. Kimono. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're wearing, they're, it's like the foreigners who rent kimono to walk around Kyoto while all the actual natives are walking around in like just modern clothes and bozai points at one of those tourists and go my god a japanese person that's bozai that's bozai real bozo yeah yeah i was really insulted when he was like yeah my girlfriend oh monica's so (laughs) fucking pissed didn't you have someone who thought of you that way back in the day oh my god what? Yeah, there's there's people like that, and wow. yes, I had had to deal with. It's awkward, yeah, and very enraging. 
Yeah. I I did not grow into I did not yet grow into the rage I have now. So they got off relatively easy, but yeah. Did I was this something I was aware of and helped run interference on, or was this before me? Like sort of before you showed up in Canada. Got oh uh mm, mm, now I'm mad again. I hate this. Anyway, Bozai's the worst. And Bozai anything is left barefoot, but barefoot is legal. But yes, and he can't go into town anyway. Why is it that they took so much time writing all these characters who are like a perfect argument that Gerudo Town's laws are absolutely just? <laughs> they like Gorons in. That's true. Do you remember when, I think it may have been in the first episode we talked about this, Crystal. Uh, I mentioned that it's kind of odd that they let the Gorons in, and you asked me, have you ever heard of an egg? <laughs> I do not remember this. Please go on. No, that's it. That was the whole thing. I don't know if that was... Oh, now I do remember this. I was confused about the context of egg, but now I understand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are two Gorons in there. Their names are Linde and Strayed. I think the idea here is that Gorons, to the way that Gerudo see the world, are like non-gendered, and feminine is the default for the Gerudo. So Gorons are just girls, if you ask Gerudo. They also have their hair similar to the Gerudo. Oh, yeah, they've got and, the like, top. And like a ponytail. Yeah, yeah. top. They got their top knot thing going. It's just impossible for Gorons to be creeps. All Gorons are just good dudes. Yeah, you know, you're basically right. Anytime you meet a Goron who's not being a good dude, he's usually off by himself. Or failing terrifically at bearing the heat of of uh, Goron City. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to those guys, though. The What were they called? Uh, macho. The, the fucking macho <laughs> boys. Something. Yeah. I did not read. Oh, since we mentioned the seven heroines, the seven heroines are really interesting because archaeological interest in them, because they're plainly like figures of worship to older Gerudo society, and interest in them is back on the rise in the current Gerudo climate as worship of Hylia is on decline. Yeah, Hylia's statue is shoved off into a back alley. There's only one woman who comes to tend to it, which is a really interesting bit because we're given more insight into how Gerudo religion works than possibly every other peoples in the game combined. And we still don't really know very much. But seven's an interesting number, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. You were saying? Seven is an interesting number. What happened to the goddess of the sand? I'm guessing that she was lost to time. The gods of Hyrule never last for very long on the larger scale. Except the Deku Tree. Except the Deku Tree. Deku Tree sticks around. I mean, the the Zora stopped worshipping Jabu Jabu, who's probably long fucking dead, and instead worship Hylia now. So it makes sense to me that over time the Gerudo just found a new set of deities to worship. But for our listeners, the reason that I'm saying that seven is an interesting number because it's seven sages once you include, like, the princess. Or in Link Between Worlds, there are just seven. Yeah. So it it seems to me that it's distinctly possible that at some point in history during the many different battles with Ganon, that maybe all seven of the sages, excepting maybe the Princess Zelda, or possibly even, like, Zelda's not one of the sages in this setup. But it seems like maybe all seven of the sages were Gerudo, and they're just known as heroines. 
it's really interesting when you go over to the seven heroines because they all have a different um, icon <laughs> symbol that sim- that could be read as symbolizing different elements. Yeah. In fact, one of them really looks like the spirit symbol. They're very different from the symbols that we're familiar from from Ocarina of Time. They don't perfectly match up with those medallions. But they're on different parts of the statues, and then you have these balls, and then you have to put the balls into the grooves. And they glow colors. Yes. Did, I guess this all had to be activated with um, the shrines. Yeah. Because surely people had tried moving the balls into the grooves. Yeah. At some point. Well, the seven sages, or seven heroines, um, embody different traits. And you can talk to Rotana, who is an archaeologist in Gerudo Town. I love that there's an actual archaeologist, Gerudo woman, who spends her evenings in her house wearing glasses, reading books. Like, I don't know why, but she's my favorite super minor character. Um, and she tells you that in the past... Um, Many people from across the world traveled here for the blessing of the seven heroines. And these seven heroines have different powers. Um, and they are skill, spirit, which is interesting, I guess, endurance, knowledge, flight, motion, and gentleness. Gentleness? Huh. <laughs> not, not the typical uh, elemental alignment for the sages. That's quite an array. Flight? Motion? <laughs> well, motion, like, there's super-powered motion in this game, so I can kind of get that. I feel like it's possible that they're not... There may have been a translation problem here, trying to convey how all of these concepts tie together with just their words. Maybe. Or maybe there's, like, cultural references here that we're not privy to because we don't have that same background. Um, and... Go ahead. Do you think the seven heroines existed contemporaneously, or are these different heroines across history? I'll tell you what I think. I think that the seven heroines were a group of Gerudo women who were involved in one of the many, many, many battles with Ganon more than 10,000 years past. And more than that, the eighth heroine who stands alone in a endless lonely vigil with a broken sword i want to say that those are the seven sages and the eighth heroine is the hero mm-hmm. that's pretty cool i like to imagine that there was at least one instance in the distant past where one cycle was handled completely within the gerudo and that there's at least one version of link canonically who was actually gerudo they say the calamity once took the form of a Gerudo. Yeah. <laughs> that The idea that they could be referring to a much later incident that isn't actually Ocarina of Time is fascinating to me. One of the statues, other than the eighth, has a broken sword as well. Is it completely missing? No. Because it's the, just like crumbled. The, eighth's, the, the sword for the eighth is broken and gone. It's separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because you wonder whether it was deliberately scattered there or if in the transport, because clearly it was meant to be in that eighth spot. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a perfect octagon, but it must have been lifted over to the mountains. What would have moved it, though? Who would have moved it and why? And, And, And intentionally or unintentionally lost the sword. 
and why does it sit at the bottom of what looks like a violently carved trench? I've got a theory about this. Oh, okay. I love, I, I fucking love our fanfic <laughs> theories. These are the best. Um, but I guess something's around this first. Um, the seven are also called the di- divine protectors of the Gerudo. And Urbosa's uh, sword is called the scimitar of the seven. Sure. Um, but what also made me wonder about this whole thing is the whole moving the balls into the appropriate slots causes the shrine to come up. Right. So do you think that the statues were made around the time that they were setting up the shrines? Or did the Sheikah, you know, take over an ancient sacred site of the Gerudo? That, that's a hard question. I don't know. What, what do you think? I suppose the Sheikah could cooperate with the Gerudo, or it could have just been built with the hero in mind. Even that far back. Yeah. I think the the Gerudo don't seem like they have the technology to move the eighth statue, so perhaps that was an act of the Sheikah. Why did they do it so violently then? They set down the statue fairly intact. No, I mean, why did they carve such a violent trench to put it at the head of what is it looking out toward at forever outward outside of the kingdom yeah no it's um the eighth heroine who bozai remarks was wiped from history is is actually and you you get this as a description when you take a picture of it or in the journal rather is worshipped to this day by the her faithful um that sounds sorry go ahead and she's, well, according to Bozai, also re- referred to as the Bronze Giant. That's pretty cool. Yeah. She must have been very tall. Um, my theory is that this act of erasing uh, the Eighth from history was intentional and by the Grudo. Okay. Uh, by the majority of people who didn't support the Eighth, but uh, despite their deeds... And because Grudo are so gendered, right? Um, my supposition, like, and trying to imagine what could be taboo amongst the Grudo, is that the eighth, eighth is actually a man. Male. Yes. Oh, so the eighth heroine is a Grudo man. Yes. Oh, oh <laughs> shit! And perhaps trying to pass as a woman to, to avoid stigma or something. And joined with the others in some great effort in protecting the city, but afterwards um, was shunned and effectively wiped out from history. But there, that reminds me of the Gossip Stone in Ocarina of Time that suggested that there's a rumor that says that the Gerudo worship their king like a god. Uh-huh. Well, clearly by the time it got to Breath of the Wild, though, There's being no male king. is taboo. Yeah. And uh, the women rule. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my running theory. Huh. What do you make of that, Crystal? That's an interesting theory. The hero is always a boy. So you do buy into the idea that the eighth heroine could have been the hero of that era. All right. This this synthesizes both ideas. I don't know. I, I made my theory separate from Cameron's, though I knew about Cameron's. Yeah, I <laughs> but, don't think that they work together very well, because I like the idea that 
Link as a Gerudo would definitely be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I also looked Canonical around. Canonical girl, Link. I also looked around because the the swords are straight, right? Hmm. And they're not they're not scimitars. So are they in the style of the golden great swords? Not really. Oh. Because the great swords have like an extra thing on the hilt and so on. Sure. It's some unknown kind of sword. Okay. I just tried to analyze this part a lot. Sure. Oh, there's another thing. Okay. Actually, this supports... Well, no, I don't know if it supports Cam's theory better than mine, but there is one difference um, between the eighth statue and the seven, and I actually had to load up the game and travel around three times to confirm it. Sure. The... um, the seven have their right hand on their swords. Oh, fuck. And their left hand on top of it. And this is reversed for the eighth. The left her- the eighth heroine is left-handed. Yes. Oh. Oh, I like, oh, I like this more and more. Okay. So I, I, I think that the idea that the eighth heroine was a man is a cool idea in and of itself. But I don't know that it necessarily lines up with this. Maybe something happens between the heroine and Ganon in this era or something. Like, something happened to call cause them to fall from grace. But it reads to me like this was Link. And it's not clear what exactly caused Link to fall from grace as the Gerudo saw them at the time. But I really like the idea that there's one canonical version of this character who was absolutely and definitely a woman. Link's sin was being left-handed. <laughs> oh yeah, it's sinister. It, but <laughs> yeah, I I I like that theory. But like this link is right-handed. Yeah, that's true. It's no longer a link thing necessarily. It's still an easy visual shorthand to indicate the legacy of yeah. the hero. Hey, why did they make Link right-handed in this game? I don't know. There's no good reason. I think they must have talked about it at some point, right? And Alnima said something ridiculous. That sounds familiar, right? Yeah, I don't know. Alnima says a lot of ridiculous shit. You have to keep your shield towards Death Mountain. Oh, it's because the players use their right hand to initiate attacks on the Wii U gamepad. That's what Alnima said. Alnima's so fucking full of shit. Right, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. That was exactly as true back in the N64 days. See, this is what happens when Miyamoto loses influence. Is that what happens? Well, Miyamoto's left-handed. That's why Link's left-handed. Ah, fair enough. Bring back Miyamoto, I guess. <laughs> hmm. Nah. Then it would... Mm. I'm okay. Never mind. But bring back somebody who... Bring in someone who will be like, no, he should be left-handed. Come on. Fun theories. Yeah, there's a Let lot... Let us know which ones you like. Yeah, we would we would love to hear from our readers as to... How they read the idea behind the eight heroines, particularly the last and the loneliest. And maybe it's not even an indication that they fell from grace, necessarily. Well, yeah. I mean, Bozai remarks that they've been wiped from history. But that doesn't... But that's Bozai. That's Bozai. That, That could just mean that they've been forgotten, not that they've been, like, actively shunned due to something... But having secret worshippers across the city, even now? That does imply a few things, but they must have secret worshippers. Like, worshippers worship them for a reason. Are you aware of 
the a quote from the Link in the Past player's guide that explains Link's handedness. Is it the shield death mountain thing? No, yes. that's... Yes. Uh... <laughs> Link will swing his sword with his left hand, except when he's facing to the east. No one is exactly sure why Link employs this right-handed technique when he faces east. Some say it's a boyish superstition that makes Link hold his shield toward Death Mountain when battling a foe to the east or west. Link is sure that the evil power is originating from Death Mountain. So the most powerful Link is actually ambidextrous. Wait, you you think he's the most powerful Link? Yes, easily. Why is that? Not even close. Why is that? He kills a full Triforced Ganon. A full Triforced Ganon that the Triforce just stopped working for. Yeah. With a sword that's supposed to specifically turn off the Triforce. Yeah. Who would you call the strongest Link? This is a discussion that I don't know if I'm prepared for it. Maybe that's a list we could make. A power ranking, a tier list for all the different Links in the list episode. Are we still doing the list episode? Where we just sit around and make up bullshit lists for an episode? That'd be good content for the Let's Play Twitter account. Yeah, sure. Why not? But I think it could also be fun for our listeners. Yeah. We just need list ideas. I guess one of them is rank the strongest links. Shall we go into Gerudo Town? Let's go into Gerudo Town. (laughs) That only took us an hour and 15 minutes. Um, Going into Gerudo Town, it's a really nice setup. The center part is um, a square where there's a market. Um, There seems to be, like I guess, trenches with water flowing across the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really nice. Um, You encounter, one of the first people you can encounter is a group of little kids, all girls. Um, One of them is named Pearl, and she's the sister of Rotana. Is it Rotana? Yes, Rotana. My handwriting was not clear. Um, The archaeologist. And Pearl remarks that they're all playing different... um, I think they're all playing uh, different superheroes or whatever, and she's pretending to be Urbosa. Uh, but she remarks that uh, Urbosa was a champion who saved this town from an evil ghost. How do we read that? Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if that was just Pearl's understanding of the Calamity, because the Calamity is kind of ghost-like. I don't know if we can necessarily say that's a reading of the Calamity, though, because like Urbosa didn't beat the Calamity... But then that could also be how the Gerudo see the event. Maybe that was what she did before becoming a champion. But what ghost? It's an odd line. Gwei. So monster. Possibly. Could be read as monster rather than ghost. So that would make sense. She's probably talking about the Calamity. It's a very non-sequitur. Yeah, I don't even know why you brought it up. I just wanted to... It was a really weird line. It is a weird line. There's not much else to talk about in Gerudo Town. They have a bar. I mean, we could talk about how the entire town is built in this really weird way that there's like women who get married outside of town and choose to live with their husbands, but they come back into town to raise their daughters or to run businesses. This is supposedly the largest trading hub now in Hyrule. And it's interesting to me because you don't see Gerudo daughters anywhere but here. This is the only place you can find Gerudo children, which means that once a Gerudo is born, she's raised among the other Gerudo and her father no longer has any part of her life. That's pretty weird. It's not even that it's weird. It's just that that 
fact paints the picture of a society that is not really supported by the text that we get out of our conversations in this game. It's like they didn't pay attention to the way that the visuals and the storytelling that they do through their text, like, mesh together. Or maybe... Yeah, because the society painted here is one that fits more with what is described in Ocarina, where Gerudo go into Castletown to get boyfriends and then go back to the Gerudo Desert and don't really care about their boyfriends. Yeah. But a lot of the Gerudo women actually care about their husbands quite a lot. There's one lady who went to town because her husband is very ill and she needs Maldugo parts for uh, the cure. And that was a really sweet moment. She's, I think, so relieved that she cries and she promises to name her daughter if she has one after you. Oh, uh, there's another canonically female Link. Yeah. Oh, the second Gerudo Link. Now that I think <laughs> of it. She also s- says that Link's name is very masculine. Which, is it? Uh, we don't want to talk about the way that Gerudo Town interacts with Link's gender or else we'll be stuck on that all fucking day. Yeah. Like, there are, there are multiple people affected by the sequences in question who have brought up how hard the dialogue in Gerudo Town leans into the idea that you are a man disguised as a woman, and it sort of layers itself on top of the weird trans misogyny of earlier sequences. What are other characters in the world named Link? I know there's Link from The Matrix Reloaded. There's there's Mr. Link from upcoming film The Missing Link. I actually don't know that many. There's a guy named Link on Good Morning Mythical. There's Meyer Link from Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, uh, based on the third Vampire Hunter D novel. I'm out of links. I'm pretty much out of links myself. What about, you got any more, Crystal? No, but I mean, are all those boys? They're all boys. I guess Link's a masculine name. Until the Gerudo start using it. Yes. I mean, it's only as masculine as you let it be. It's like Courtney. Or, or Ash- Cameron. Or other names. Or Ashley. Yeah. Or, yes, Cameron. Which is very much a name that could be used for boys or girls. Or anyone, really. I haven't relayed this anecdote on here, but Cam knows it. When I first read Gone with the Wind... <laughs> Uh, the name Ashley to me was entirely feminine. Right. And so um, I read about Scarlet pining after her cousin Ashley repeatedly. And I went, huh, this book is oddly progressive. And you you might say, like, Monica, why didn't you figure that was a guy? But here is a woman lusting after her cousin. So <laughs> I was like, maybe, you know. Maybe. Yeah. But no, it turns out. That's much out- more common Ashley as a boy's name is much more common in the American South. And it's still not very common. No, it turns out that it was just some heteronormative white nonsense. Yeah. People wanting to marry their cousins. Yeah, their first cousins. She was very clear about that. Oh, boy. Monica's like, wow, this is so progressive for this big, long tract of slavery apologia. Yeah. Yeah, but no. Uh, What else is in Gerudo Town? There is the Gerudo Secret Club. Yeah. Where you can buy your illegal Vo outfits. Why would they be selling illegal Vo outfits inside the city if it weren't for the fact that there are men living in the city who can't come out as men? Maybe, maybe some ladies like to wear the outfits. 
what I'm suggesting here is that like there are implications you can draw from the existence of this shop that I don't think the writers thought about at all. Yeah, it's confusing. It's, it's not even that confusing. In this shop, you were saying? In this shop, do they worship the eighth hero? N- no. There's no mention of her or them there. Mystery. Also weird. It, it's just that there's so much dissonance in the treatment of almost everything with regards to Gerudo Town. Um... There's a bar. I've mentioned that there is a jewelry shop that is in disrepair. Y- you can help them out by giving them some flint, and then they'll give you one free thing that is not a diamond. And I suppose we should go up. No, wait. There's the dating class. There's the dating class, and there's also the asshole Gerudo who's just throwing watermelon rinds into the waterway. <laughs> She's terrible. She's the worst. She should date Bozai. No. She'd end up killing him. She stops. True. She, After, she would kill him, though. Yeah. I assume most Grudo would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there's there's a Grudo that you can encounter outside who, um, when you greet her, you only have two options. It's like something like, hey, gorgeous, uh, something like that, or like, bye. Oh. And. Boy, Link's an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. But if you choose the hit online, she's like, no, we've been warned about Hylians who come on like that. Bye. There's no winning with that. I don't, I don't well, know. Why would you want to win that? Uh, do you just say, do you just, can't you just say hi to someone? You Weirdly enough, you can say hi to other Gerudo women yeah. who are wandering around Hyrule. It's just this one in particular. Link is really. Or is that only after the first time you talk to her? No. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Do you two like the person who's clearly flunking out of the Vo and You class, Crystal? She just can't understand those Vos. Oh. So strange and hard to understand. The Vo and You class is like Gerudo Town boiled down because it's genuinely funny, but also it's like, uh? It's like, okay, you find a Vo injured on the road. What do you do? I would put together a poultice and see about treating their injuries. That's good, but make sure you don't use any thing that they might be allergic to. I would make sure that they are in a state in which they'll be safe for the next few hours and then go and get help. That's very good. It's especially good that you thought to check them for injuries. I would take them back to my house and nurse them to health. That's kind-hearted, but also technically kidnapping. What I like about the class, though, is that um, the answers are very... I'm not going to say militaristic, but very much survival-based. Yeah. Like, you, a stranger approaches you in, um, in the wild or whatever, and then one of them is, I would, you know, look around and be wary that it's a ba- bandit ambush. Sure. And another one is, I would approach with my hands empty to gesture that I mean no harm. And then I, I would attack him when his, when his guard is down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, hers is the most bizarre of the answers, but all of them are vaguely battle or survival oriented. They're all instantly suspicious of meeting somebody out in the middle of the wilderness. Yes. There's also training dummy torsos in the background. Yes. And I can only imagine they're for makeout lessons or just like beat-ups. How to protect yourself from Vogue. Do that thing where you put your hands on their foreheads and hold them back at arm's length, then they can't reach you. (laughs) Good. Um, the teacher of the class, Ashai, asks if you want to join in, but Link uh, demurs. And Ashai asks, oh, do you have someone you already care deeply about? 
And then Link sort of does his embarrassed move. Huh. 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 Hmm. Hmm. God, Gerudo Town's so fucking weird. There's a lot going on in Gerudo Town. It's very busy. I think that Gerudo Town as a locale to run around in is more dense than Zora's Domain in terms of the amount of things you can do. There's a lot of side quests, yeah. I I really like the inn with the spa package. Oh, hell yeah. And there's a lineup. There's a, a Hylian woman in there waiting her turn. And she's been waiting forever. And Link apparently is just so cute. He gets bumped to the top of the line yep. and gets the treatment. And if you go talk to that Hylian woman, she's very upset that she, they're not being served in order. But, you know, immediately sees like, oh, you do look very refreshed. You're glowing. You're glowing. So this must be a good package. I'll just be patient. And she's waiting to this day. Yeah. She asked to speak to the manager and the lady behind the counter was like, I am the manager. Now go sit in that room and wait your turn. And then she forgot about her. That's great. I think it works. Shall we go to Riju? Yeah. Let's meet Riju, (laughs) the leader of the Gerudo. You sneak into the very northern bit of Gerudo Town. You don't have to sneak into this. You walk in and you are disguised. Okay. But um, there's Riju sitting on the throne and there's a booster seat on the throne. There's like three layers of booster seat here. It's so cute. It's hilarious. And nobody ever says anything about it. But if you see the DLC moment where they're both and she's sitting there there's no there's no booster seat yeah there's no booster seat it's clearly a booster seat for riju for riju because she's like she's a baby so she's half the size i say baby because monica and i use the word baby to refer to anyone more than 10 years younger than us but riju's like 14 or 15 and she's not finished with her growth spurt yet um it's a really nice setup the water that flows through town emerges from a spring at the back of the throne Mm -hmm. but what a nice symbol symbolic you know seat of power this is actually maybe she's only like 12 i don't know um but riju uh, it has heard of the legend of a sleeping swordsman um with a sword who probably has a sheikah slate um and riju knows also that the that zelda hid the sword and then the they recognize oh you're a Vaux. And you have a Sheikah Slate. Oh, that too. The Sheikah Slate is really the first thing. A lot of people notice that Sheikah Slate. It's a very bizarre looking implement. Yes. But Riju says, oh, you're a friend of Urbosa's, so you're allies, and you're, you can help us through this crisis. So we'll keep your secret. But no, we're not going to tell the rest of the city that you're an exception because... You're not. Eh. Uh, yeah. And they... Explain to you that the treasure that um, the Grudo queens, leaders, chiefs, chiefs, thank you, have been holding the Thunderhelm has been stolen by the Yiga. And they can't help you go after the Divine Beast unless they have that helm. Now, they are going to end up making their own excursion to get the helm back, and it's a huge shame upon them and the entire guard that the helm was stolen in the first place. But honestly, things would go a lot faster if you could get the helm for them. So go talk to Captain Teak. There's a missing soldier named Barta. 
And Barta, according to her two friends who consider Barta sort of a fool, uh, she went off to go retrieve the Thunderhelm by herself. That was pretty progressive. Uh, Kind of foolhardy. Extremely foolhardy. So it looks like Link's now got two separate things that's on the agenda. Gotta rescue Barta and get the Thunderhelm back. Time for the Yiga clan hideout. You gotta get over there by riding a sand seal through a sandstorm. Do you? Yes. Oh, I forget all the middle bits. I know you do, but you gotta ride a sand seal through a sandstorm where the way is marked by small statues of the seven who are pointing with their swords. You follow between each of the statues according to how their swords are pointing. I thought that that was just to a shrine. Maybe it's to a shrine. I could be wrong, but I thought that it took you across. Anyway, you go, over sure to, shrine. you go over to the Yiga hideout. Uh-huh. There's uh, the turtle statues all over the place. Not turtle, frog Frog statues. statues everywhere. They've got the upside down Chica eye everywhere. A whole bunch of them meet you outside and they try to kick your ass. There's like 50 of them outside. They start like, coming for you. Sometimes I wonder why the Yiga clan hideout is so deserted, but then I'm like, oh wait, Link killed a lot. most of them outside. So... You get into the Yiga clan hideout. Crystal, tell us about the Yiga clan hideout. The Yiga clan hideout is this game's stealth sequence, which a lot of people don't like. You're supposed to sneak through by throwing bananas to, to lure the Yiga guards, because you know those Yiga just can't resist delicious banana. Yeah. But the other option you can do to get through it is to kill everyone. Everyone. Which is what I did. Awesome. You just go loud with your bomb arrows or whatever the hell, and you just shoot everyone in the face, and that gets rid of the problem. Yeah, like, it's doable. It reminded me of uh, that sequence in Wind Waker when everyone wakes up in the castle, and you're just, like, struggling against it for 20 minutes. If they hit you, it's one hit kill, right? It sure is. Yes. Even if you have, like... 20 hearts. I don't think that the arrows are one-hit kills. It's just the swipes from the sword masters. Yeah, that annoyed me. Well, I mean, if you get if you have enough stamina and you jump off a little ledge and you have arrows, you will clear this room. Or you can just dodge. You can get good. Just don't get hit. Just don't <laughs> just do it perfectly. Okay. Yeah, I got real good at the dodge timing. You took a risk and there was a reward not having to do a stealth sequence. But I don't mind the yep. stealth sequence myself. It's such a goofy moment because it's such an ominous introduction. Like you walk into the place and it starts off with like a little altar or something like that. And like eight entrances with cloth draped around. And you have to burn down tapestries in order to progress further into it. Right. And then you encounter um, the missing soldier and she's like, oh, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Don't, I don't think they have a weakness. Don't go after it. There's no way. Uh, they don't have a weakness, but, you know, all they seem to care about is bananas. <laughs> and then you you sneak or kill in, and you encounter a, a, an upstairs room, which is chock full of bananas. It's just loaded with And them. it's just really funny in the moment. Uh, the thing that I like is if you throw a bunch of mighty bananas out where one of the sword masters will see it, they see it and they get real excited and they kind of prance over to it, look around to make sure that nobody's watching, and then reach down and scoop it up, which is the sequence during which you're supposed to sneak up behind them and stab them in the spine. Are they watching so that they make sure nobody else can steal the banana or? Uh-huh. Okay. Or that nobody will ask them to share it. Yeah. 
It's good. And then you make it into a back room, which I guess it's like a bedroom. I guess it would be um, whatever his name is. Master Koga. Koga. Yeah. Bed area with weapon storage. And they get you to use magnesis on a chest that's buried in the ground. How the hell did it get there? And you spot that one of the walls is actually a trick wall that can spin around. And you use magnesis on that. I guess the Yika just push it. Yeah. Actually, no, wait. We can get to this in a moment. <laughs> what they deal with this. But you, you slide the wall, you walk out, and you see a giant endless pit. They call those bottomless pits. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And here's a boss. A very unique boss in the hierarchy of Breath of the Wild bosses. The immutable, ineffable, incomparable Master Koga. Koga is of the Zant and Majora line. Yes, he's definitely the weird, goofy boss. Um, it's a fun fight. It's I would say that he song. actually has more in in common with the chief monkey than he does with Zant. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Um, he keeps poofing out giant spiky balls. And at different stages, there's different things that you do. I think stage one is as he rotates the ball around him, you just shoot him with an arrow as the ball is on top of him and bonk. Like he'll use his magic to block the arrow, but then he's not holding the ball up anymore and then it hits him on the head. And then um, eventually he puts a little barrier in front of him, but then the ball is magnetic and you grab the ball and you swipe it behind the barrier and you bonk him. If you wait too long... He'll throw it at you. And this is the part where you realize that uh, the Yiga have magnesis. Because he actually has the magnesis rune effect out that reaches out and moves the metallic balls on his behalf, which suggests that the Yiga still have a great deal of Sheikah technology. In fact, it may be how they teleport, which is pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, like the the Sheikah do not have these abilities anymore and they've vested it all into one like slate it's lost yeah but clearly at least the yika leaders have it yeah they've been able to replicate something koga feels like a very classic zelda boss in the way you don't really get anywhere else in this game and that it's not really so much a fight as a series of small puzzles yes some people think that he's the best boss in the game based on the fact that he's a series of small puzzles I would I would agree with that. Mm, I like ones that are actually fights, but I do see where you're coming from. He is easily the most unique of the bosses. Maybe you could have a boss that's a fighty part and also weird puzzle bits. There's puzzle bits, like the Thunder Blight has puzzles. The Fire Blight has puzzle bits. Yeah. They're nothing like Koga, though. No. Koga's nothing but that. He's a... Every other way, the combat doesn't matter at all. So he's very much an Ocarina of Time or Wind Waker style boss. So you 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 defeat him. Well, he, he uses his father's mother's father's secret move, which is a giant spiky ball. <laughs> and It's so big. It's so big. And I guess there's a slight slope in the room because it just starts rolling towards. He can't hold Kobe. it up can't hold it up he can't see he around can't stop it. it oh he asks if you're still there <laughs> yeah, okay. but it rolls and it rolls over him and sends him into the giant bottomless pit 
and he swears his eternal revenge. As he falls into hell, sure, basically. Sure, yes. And uh, a chest with the helm appears. And so modern Link also kills a human being. No, that was all That was all Koga. No, no. I, I think Link will take credit for that one. Sure. It goes up on the board. He really didn't do much. He kept dropping iron balls on the guy's head and then spanking him with a sword. Yeah, but the, the giant ball, it just rolled on its own. That was all Koga. So you get the Thunder Helm. You got the Thunder Helm. You can't equip it right now. You got to take it to Riju. Right. So you take it to Riju, and she can sense the heirloom as you approach, apparently. So she comes out. She's like, hey. No, you got it. And um, she puts on the helm, and it's too big for her. And she's like, how does it look? And as soon as she asks, it like falls down even further on her face. But this triggers, I guess, Link's memory of Urbosa. It's kind of funny because the helm doesn't really feature into the memory. It's in the memory, like sort of placed on the uh, blanket beside Urbosa and Zelda. But Urbosa, we never see her wear the helm. No, that'd be rad. That would be fucking sick. And Riju tells you to meet her at a lookout area and where you will start your journey um, to Van Naboris. Gotta ride a sand seal. Riju's story really mirrors Zelda's. Yes, because her whole thing is that her mother died when she was young and she's trying to be chief in her mother's place. Yes, but she does a lot better, probably because she doesn't get fucking gaslit by someone. She hasn't got to worry about her dad. She's got Buliara. Buliara is very supportive, her bodyguard. Buliara, for our listeners, is the Gerudo version of Impa, and she is the most swole character who's not a Gorin full stop ever. But we are for president. <laughs> Did you two enjoy the trek to Van Naboris? Do you mean the battle itself? Yeah, the whole sand seal thing. Spoilers of sand seals. What kind of time do you... I would you... say it's the second best one after Sidon. For our listeners, the way that you approach Van Naboris is that Riju, who reveals that the power of the Gerudo chieftains lets them use the Thunder Helm to block lightning in a huge area. And I'm thinking that it might have done a lot more than that, considering that Urbosa had lightning powers. But um, basically, you have to stay within a certain range of Riju while chasing Vaughnaboris because it keeps throwing lightning blasts at you, and you shoot its feet with bomb arrows. And it's a very cool dynamic sequence with a cool battle theme. I would agree that it's probably the second best. I didn't like to have to stay in the circle. I Yeah. Monica's not very good at keeping speeds. And funnily enough, the rubber armor, some people get that first and try to use it here, but that does not completely shield you. Really? Yes. I did not know that. So the Van de Boris hits harder than actual lightning. Makes sense. Does it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's only just so much um, impedance that can be provided by a certain amount of rubber. Enough lightning will get through that. You can only insulate just so much with armor that you can wear. You shoot all the feats, and the camel, like, sits down. It's actually really terrifying, really. Yeah. And just in time, Link, like, starts his Shadow of the Colossus jump over, and, um... Regis is like, I'm gonna leave this to you. (laughs) Bye. Uh, when Link gets into Von Naboris, um, Urbosa speaks to him and remarks that um, 
both Link and Zelda have suffered because of what happened to the champions, but it had to happen. Which is a very fatalistic approach, but I guess she is dead. It is something that your mom might want to say to you. Yeah. In those situations. It's like, it couldn't be helped. It was going to happen. Anything special about Vanaboris? It's probably the most complicated of all the Divine Beasts in terms of how you move through it. So as a puzzle box, it might be my favorite one, just because of how you can form all these circuits to move all of its different parts. What was the big shifty move? You turn its midsection. Oh, okay. Which moves the location of the circuits and platforms that you use to stand around in it, and it's broken up into three sections itself. So you could really do some wild stuff inside of it. A lot of people don't like the Divine Beast, but I like them. And I think I might end up saying that on every single one of these. I like the rotation of the discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got very Disc is not the right word. <laughs> the cylinder segments? Yes. The core. The tummy. The tummy. Yeah, the tummy turning. The... <laughs> um, and you activate all of the switchy parts. It's just like Va... It's just like Varuta. Yes. And there's a big central hub that you have to tap. And, of course, out jumps Thunderblight Ganon. Who is generally considered the most difficult of the vanilla blights by a pretty decent margin. You can destroy its shield. Yeah, you can. With enough force. That's interesting. Relatively easily, even. But you don't have to. No. But a lot of its attacks are electrified, so you better have a non-conductive shield or else it'll zap you, or else you better be really good at dodging. Does the game warn you to get some, like, non-electric? No. No. No, it doesn't. doesn't. Interesting. Eat shit. (laughs) But there's ways around it. All you have to do is dodge. You can do it based on sound, because the Thunderblight moves. It has this really cool, like, flash step approach, where it moves three times, and after the third move, it's in front of you, and it slashes, and if you jump at just the right time, you get a flurry rush. Is the Master Sword electric conducting? It will conduct it, yes. Okay. But that's okay, because its shield is not, if I remember, electrified. It's just its sword. Hmm, okay. So you gotta be mindful more of your shield. And then there's a whole sequence around where it will put down metal spikes, and then you have to make Nisus one over to it. Because the spikes get blasted by lightning, and you want to blast it with the lightning, and then it's stunned, and then you can beat it up. And anyway, that's the whole fight. It's a pretty hard fight. It's It requires a lot of coordination compared to the other Blights. It, it feels like this, in terms of difficulty, it's probably the hardest, and it makes Vonaboris feel like the final of the game's four main dungeons. After you beat it, everybody's mom Urbosa shows up. Everybody's mom Urbosa. Yeah. Isn't that her title? Yeah, I think so. That does appear on the screen. Everybody's mom Urbosa. And um, she gives you Urbosa's Fury. Urbosa's Fury lets you zap everything within a certain radius with lightning, doing like 300 damage and stunning everything for like 15 fucking seconds. It's super powerful. I'm glad they gave some sort of an electricity power instead of like sandstorm yes it's a lot cooler um link warps out and back to grudo town urbosa's spirit guides van uh, van up up to is it turtle rock i th- or uh we'll say it's spectacle turtle. rock spectacle rock there the other one yeah turtle rock is 
called out here through the little ice box area. Oh, okay. It's shaped like a turtle. Right. Anyway, and this is where she remarks that the Calamity once took the form of a Gerudo, and that will make their eventual victory all the sweeter. She still holds a grudge over the fact that Ganon is associated even very distantly with the Gerudo. Yep. And I think that's the end of the sequence. Yep. Laser beams targeting the castle. And we've reached the effective end of Gerudo Town. And we can maybe do some side questing later. Yeah, you can help out everybody in Gerudo Town to get the Thunder Helm. Recommended. It's loaned to you. It's loaned to you, but it makes you immune to lightning and electricity, which makes certain challenging sequences or walking around in certain areas much easier. Riju remarks that she is sure that Link can unlock the power of Urbosa in the helm because it does require some some sort of activation. Uh. She activates it by, you know, uh, beseeching her ancestors, but I don't know how Link activates his. Link's just like that. Also, by the time he can wear it, Urbosa's spirit is with him. True. And also, he can't channel the power of the helm anything like Riju can. Link can protect himself and the immediate zone of his body. Riju can cover like 10 meters in every direction. That's Gerudo Town. We're done with the Gerudo Desert. We did it. I assume that we're going to cover the Gorin and Rito in one episode. Every podcast is two and a half times longer than you think it's going to be. (laughs) I saw you tweet that earlier. What was that about? It's, well, actually, the thing that brought it on was the waypoint pride and prejudice podcast which was was originally going to be two episodes and they've spent like two episodes on the last episode of the six episode show and they opened episode five with this is the last episode for real we promise but there's going to be another episode of pride and prejudice discussion yes okay god oh that podcast it sounds like it it's just that's so much more work than they were expecting oh that mr darcy I think that the length of the Breath of the Wild episode is more or less coming out in, like, where we're expecting it to have gone. Yeah. I don't expect to have any too interesting tidbits about the Rito and the Gorin. Uh, There's a couple of fun parts of the Gorin city. Yeah? Yeah. Like Little Brother. And the Rito? That's not... We can worry about that when we get to it. Well, would you like to take some questions? I love questions! Where can people send us questions? You can send in questions to the podcast email, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. Oh, wow. We got a lot of emails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good yeah. job. <laughs> Cameron Keep sending had, us emails. Cameron had a big uh, tweet take off last week. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> Cameron's, tw- Cameron's popufer now. Popufer? Popufer. What does that mean? It's popular furry. Oh, I see. Oh my god. I guess that's better than you calling me a BNF. A what? A BNF. Big name fan. Oh yeah, Cameron's a big name fan. Oh boy. Ugh. Twitter famous over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Twitter famous Cameron. 2000 retweet Ganon thread. That, I did not expect <laughs> it to take off like that, actually. I, I was telling Cam, oh, you should probably mention the podcast, put in your little plug thing, and he was like, nah. But I'm like, this is directly relevant to the people who, you know, liked and retweeted. But he's like, no. 
Well, we did get some new listeners sending in emails from unfamiliar addresses. Yay. Let's answer Thank some. Thank you, everyone who came to the podcast from Cameron's tweet thread. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Send in more emails. Yes. Uh, let's see. Where should we begin here? I guess let's start with Mitchell's. Yeah, Mitchell. Mitchell writes in, In your advance, I played through the first Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Imagine my surprise when one of the early levels featured Gabriel traveling through the roots of the Great Deku Tree. It was a gigantic and magical tree that was said to be alive, but was killed when the Lords of Shadow cursed it. This has some profound implications. Is Ganondorf another one of the Lords of Shadow? How does Castlevania fit into the Zelda timeline? What does this mean vis-a-vis Link's possible Christianity, given the heavy Christian themes in this game? <laughs> the Great Deku Tree, or Deku Tree, in The Lords of Shadow is one of my favorite little winks in that game. Yeah, there are several little jokes like that. Yeah, they got a lot of weird nerd shit in there. I think there was a Harry Potter joke. Oh, absolutely. That was great. Um, yeah... Ganondorf is probably a Lord of Shadow. If if Ganondorf existed in that setting, he would definitely be one of them, or possibly Satan. Now, if I remember the lore of Castlevania Lords of Shadow correctly, the Lords of Shadow were created when three members of the Brotherhood of Light ascended to heaven, and their bodies were left behind, and these are like their nobodies. Was that from the first game? It must have been, right? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's like they tried to... It's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. They try to ascend to being angels and every part of the darkness in themselves, the dark echo is left behind. And it's as bad as they were good. Yes. So they're pretty it's like bad. How, it's like how when you die, there's both a zombie and a ghost. Yes. <laughs> y- yes, exactly like that. I can't remember which ones they were. There was... There was Cornell, the werewolf, Carmilla, the vampire, and Zobek, the necromancer, which is wonderful to me because it also, there was a hierarchy to them where Cornell was the least powerful and Zobek was the most, but those are also the three primary ways that you could describe the classical Dracula, a shapeshifter, a vampire, but first, foremost, and most importantly, a necromancer. Yes. A lot of people think of vampirism as being like a virus that's spread between them. But the fun thing about it to me is that making more vampires isn't a natural act. It's inherently an act of necromancy and dark magic, which is why there's so much ritual to it when, say, Dracula turns Lucy into a vampire. Yep. And that was just one of the more erudite things about that game to me. Yeah. Uh, Gandorf would be definitely a necromancer. Uh, Castlevania takes some time between uh, Link Between Worlds and the 10,000 years ago battle. Are we doing this? During one of the... Peer- like, I think that Dracula... The entirety of human history, if we're going to do this, takes place between two appearances of Ganon. Dracula being part of that. I'd say that it happened somewhere between the 10,000 years and Breath of the Wild. Oh, really? Yeah, the giant blasted tree stump is the great Deku tree. Who died battling the Calamity. And or the Lords of Shadow. Sure. The Christian god lost his hold on the world after the word then. Yeah, like the um, the satyrs did. Right. That was such a good game. 
Castlevania Lords of Shadow is a fantastic video game. Mm-hmm. It's a shame they never made a sequel to it. It yeah. is a shame. I can't believe that they fucked up so bad that it was left. But at least it's on PC, you know? At least people can still play it. I would purchase a PlayStation 4 remaster of it. Especially if it was by itself and not part of any theoretical sequel package at a reduced price. Even if those sequels did have Richard Madden having his lovely Scottish voice. Oh, fuck your Richard Madden obsession. What? Actually, you know what? They should they should remake Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2. Just say do-over, call them all again on this one. Here's the real sequel. Oh, Crystal, that's such a good idea that they'll never do, but it's so good. But I want it. I want it. Just do it again and do everything different. Monica, what is your Richard Mulligan obsession? My my Richard Madden obsession? He's cute. Yeah, your Richard Madden. He's cute? He's cute, and I okay. guess... I don't know if the Scottish thing is anything to do with She him. likes his voice. He's cute, visually. You like him because he played Rob Stark, who yeah. was your favorite yeah. in the book. That's about it. That's as yeah, deep yeah, as the obsession goes. And he voiced Alucard, and he did a very good voice for Alucard. He's a handsome man. Yes. He's, he's fine. He's no Ryu Hayabusa. <laughs> no. No. Alucard don't but, stack up. Well, yeah, I mean, 2D boys are always better. Like, that's not a fair comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about Ryu Hayabusa again. You know what they should really do? Make, Make a new... Ninja Gaiden 3? Yeah. While we're speaking of do-over sequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just take... Yeah, just do that one again. Tee up fresh. Pretend it didn't happen. Ninja... Ninja Gaiden 2 was a good game. People didn't like that one for some reason. It wasn't as well balanced as the original, I don't think. It's been a while since I played it, but I thought that a lot of the challenge in it didn't feel as fair. But again, that was years and years ago. But it was still good. Like, if you put them on a thing, like, people say that Ninja Gaiden Black is the cream of that crop. And then Ninja Gaiden 2 is still really, really good. And then Ninja Gaiden 3, like, falls off a cliff. And into the ocean. I never played Ninja Gaiden 3, so I don't quite know why people hate it so much. I haven't played Jason any Jason writes <laughs> They're good games. They should also remaster those games. Yes. I just admire Ryu's butt. It's a good butt. It's a good butt. <laughs> Jason writes in with an email titled, Defense of Twilight Princess, The Adventure of Mega Man Zero. Oh, God. Hi, guys. I just finished listening to the episode where you read both my letter and my shit post of a tweet. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Honestly, I was trolling Cameron with that Hitano holodrum connection, which is also why I spelt it Ganon with two N's. Your passion is infectious and entertaining. There's four N's there. <laughs> There's four N's there. I'm spitballing on a bus here. I finished your Twilight Princess episodes, but it's been years since I played. Sure, Wolf Link is cool as hell. All bad boys who flaunt the system are. He's a representation of primal urges breaking free, violently tearing out the throats of his enemies and being guided by his sense of smell. As a wolf, he is shunned because he is not living inside the bounds of humanity, and he might piss on your petunias. <laughs> Zant is the king of Hyrule here. He's the villain who abused his power to beat the people into submission, to where they're shadows of their former selves. The social structures in place require the people of Hyrule to conform to the expectation that they obey the king even if he's a conquering king, or be killed. Link isn't a shadow because he's more independent. He basically walks out of his secluded forest, where the social structure works to find 1984 Hyrule. Maybe the fact that the ancient hero appears as a wolf indicates that he died as an outcast from Hyrule. Perhaps this could be tied to the conquering of the Gerudo people. 
Maybe this Link defeated Ganon, but disagreed with lumping the Gerudo in with him. This Link's political rivals thought him soft in the Gerudo and feared his romantic interest in Zelda, so they contrived a controversy, driving him out before he could become king. His prowess made him a fearsome warlord, drawing many to his cause, but he was never able to settle down as a family due to his love for Zelda. Anyway, that's enough of that. Question 2. Does Cloud survive the final battle in Final Fantasy Tactics? Where does Final Fantasy VII fit into the Ivalis timeline? Question 3. Does Mega Man Legends take place in the Classic slash X-Series timeline, or the Battle Network timeline? Question 4. What is the Legend of Zelda Fitzgerald like? Wow, this is quite an email, Jason. This is a meaty one. This <laughs> is like a roller coaster ride for real. Whew. Um, it's interesting to devise the end of Ocarina of Time Link. Yeah, we, we spent some time doing that. Yes. We even did some time doing it in the Buffer episode that just went up. Did we? I don't remember. We totally did, trying to figure out how uh, his death related to the placement of Hyrule Castle. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. It's a a cool read. I like the Z-Link component. Of course you do. (laughs) Um, I, I don't know if he would ever, like, actively draw a sword against Hyrule. No. It's not. Yeah. No. It's hard to conceive of a link that would do that, even if he was banished. This is a very an episode very um, heavy in the discussion of a banished link. Yeah. Anything to add to this first section of the email, Crystal? Hmm. Is Link really a bad boy who flaunts the system? No. He's got a cool wolf persona and a cool haircut that they really wanted as a wolf haircut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he's a joth, yes, but is he is he a rebel? No, I mean he's a rebel in so far as he goes out and actually does things. That's true. Everybody else just sits there complaining about the water not working. I think he's like an anti-rebel, actually. Twilight Princess Link, like he goes out and he gets shit done, but he is also trying to restore the the like righteous status quo. What do you call people like that? I don't know. Like a stoolie? No. Stoolies are people who like, uh, they're like rats. They rat out folks. They sing. A narc? Are you calling Twilight Princess Link a cop? <laughs> he's not He's not a cop. He ain't the police. He's, he's like the Star Wars resistance. Yes. We just want to restore the Republic. Yeah. And honestly, that's okay. That's okay to be. I like the idea of Link defending the Gerudo against uh, persecution in the aftermath of Ocarina. That is an interesting idea, though I don't know if I buy into the idea of Ocarina of Time Zelda enacting persecution. Yeah, no. Um, Did either of you play Final Fantasy Tactics? I've not. I tried. I didn't much care for it. Ditto. It's not that you didn't care for it. You just kind of didn't proceed. I guess that's not caring for it. I had other things to play. Final Fantasy VII was the dream of one of the orphans in Ravenaster. Oh, yeah. Sure. Final Fantasy VII is a fanfic that Zodiac wrote to show to its parents, and they didn't like it very much, and they threw it out, and he got real mad. (laughs) And so they locked him in the giant crystal? Uh Uh-huh. Every time i try to play an ivalis game it just starts with like a 20 minute narration about 
the kingdom of Novelis has invaded the continent of Bovelis, <laughs> where the kingdoms of Schmovelis and Novelis are defending against the empire of Govelis. Yeah, it's Matsuno. Yeah, that's definitely Matsuno. You, you'll and it, it's a lot. You'll find the same thing happening if you ever start in on an ogre game. And the ogre games are where the real shit is. That's my stuff. I do that. This podcast officially endorses Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber, as the best RPG of that generation. Wow. That's heavy. Yep. Yep. I I, I don't think we can really engage with these shit posts in the same way. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about Mega Man. Me neither. Except that Battle Network is good. I, the only good one, arguably. I've only played three of the classic Mega Man, and... Mega Man X, the first Mega Man X, and that's it. And I guess I watched some of the cartoon. In the Mega Man Battle Network cartoon, I remember quite vividly an episode where uh, one of the characters is stuck in traffic and really badly needs to go to the bathroom. And she's stuck in traffic because the, the bad guy has hacked the traffic lights to always be red. So the whole episode is Mega Man and his friends trying to fight the hackers so the traffic lights can work again. But the episode ends with her just running out of her limo and going into the bathroom in a nearby public bathroom. That's a weird piss fiscation. Yeah, there's just a lot of focus on this young girl just struggling to hold in her urine. Oh, God. It's not... This was a long time ago. Maybe I've edited some of these details, but it, it was really weird to me as a, like a 10-year-old. It it reads a little bit like Pura's age regression thing. Mm-hmm. What is The Legend of Zelda Fitzgerald like? Well, um, it involves the titular character being gaslit by her husband. Yeah. It's not it's a depressing story. Yeah. Do not recommend. I don't know anything about Zelda Fitzgerald. What's her story? She was married to F. Scott Fitzgerald. She also liked writing. They tooled about Europe, primarily France. Um, he, well, he, uh, he, from different perspectives, either gaslit or mocked her writing. I think at one oh. point also, like, burnt one of her writings. She was not in the most stable of mental health, and I think eventually like stayed at a one of those sanatoriums or whatever and like died there but even when she was still alive and in the relationship with um f scott fitzgerald i think hemingway like fucking hated her and that's when you realize that like english lit professors are just doing like real person ships of authors because one of mine was super into shipping Hemingway with Fitzgerald. Nothing greater than academia being a, a endless uh, fanfic ship. That's a, that's a rough life right there. It's, <laughs> it's not, pretty rough life. It's bad. Which is always strange because you always read about people, like even the name Zelda for The Legend of Zelda was inspired by Zelda Fitzgerald. And she lived her flapper life and whatever, but you're always like, really? Like, that's that's... Where you got inspired to create this character or name the character after? I, I can see it being like Miyamoto didn't really know her life, but just found her name in the book and was like, that's a good name. It is a very, very... Like, I've heard of her, but... Yeah. It's like how uh, in the Japanese version of 
Final Fantasy VI, Terra's name was Tina, because Tina sounds exotic. Yeah, Tina. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was Celeste's name? I have no idea. Terra and Celeste makes a lot of great sense. Yeah. Is that all the emails for right now? It's getting long in the tooth. Yeah, we can call it here. It's good. It's a good length episode, I think. This is a good one. Good one. Cameron, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at CamWriter. You can find me at ArcaneCrystal on Twitter.com. You can find me at ArcaneCrystal on Twitter.com or at Patreon.com slash ArcaneCrystal, where you can put in some money and get podcasts a little early, like Audrey Burke. Audrey Burke? Yeah, like Audrey Burke. Oh, one of your patrons is Audrey Burke. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Audrey. What other shows can we find you on, Crystal? Well, there's uh, the Let's Plays podcast where a panel objectively, not subjectively, objectively and scientifically ranks every video game according to quality and not by any other criteria. And there's also MCU Complete Me where I and Luke subjectively rank every Marvel movie according to how good we think it is. Where can we find these podcasts? Well, you can find them on AudioEntropy.com, of course. That's the podcast network that we are a part of. There's lots of other great podcasts on there, like Totally Reprise and All Along the Watchtower and Teenagers with Attitude and Let Me Tell You About Evangelion. And our newest podcast, it's a podcast after all, about theme parks. That's still a really cool idea for a podcast. I love theme parks. Theme parks are cool. Is it like one theme park per episode? Yeah, it's discussing the, it's hosted by Ava and Ashley, discussing their experiences at various theme parks in each episode. Cool. Are you ready for a joke? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Are you really ready for a joke? Yeah. This joke comes in from Rob Million. Why was the ghost not allowed into Gannon's five-star restaurant? Why? He was just a Poe boy from a Poe family. Yeah. <laughs> there was a moment of brilliant confusion on Monica's face. Spare him his life from this monstrosity. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.